Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are continuing our series of conversations with Minnesotans I think you should know about because they have fascinating stories about the work they do and why they do it. This hour, I want to introduce you to a woman who started a business in Minnesota in 2018 called The Woke Coach. Yeah, there it is, the word woke. What does that mean? And what does she do? We're about to find out. Sina Hodges is the founder and CEO of The Woke Coach. She's an anti-racism training consultant who is focused on creating racial equity. And she's also a major player in the Twin Cities arts community and the author of a new book titled From Ally to Accomplice, How to Lead as a Fierce Anti-Racist. Sina is joining me in the studio today. Good morning. Good morning, Angela. Nice to see you. I love your earrings. Thank you so much. I wish everyone could see them, but we'll take a picture later. Uh, I want to start with the word woke. Uh, You know, I know it means many things to many people. And when you use the word woke, Sina, what are you talking about? Yeah, thank you for that question, Angela. I, I know you know that the word woke can set off a firestorm sometimes. But essentially, when I think about what it means to use the word woke or what it means to be woke, the thing that's true for each of us is that all of us are just the sum of our lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever lived experience we've had, that's it. That's our lived experience. The other thing is that none of us has the quintessential lived experience, right? So we're the sum of our lived experience, but none of us have the quintessential lived experience. Because of that, we have to awaken to the experiences of other people. Bottom line, you know, if you don't know people with physical disabilities, You don't have that experience. You don't understand that. If you've never been invited by an Indigenous friend to a powwow and attended, you don't understand that, right? And so the reality of the situation is that each of us has to awaken to the experiences of other people. The other piece that I like to layer onto that is really that we always have to pay attention to whether or not race or racism is at play in any given situation or circumstance, right? Does it mean that it's always there? No, but we do have to be aware that it could be. The other piece is that um, at the end of the day, we also have to make sure that we don't accept situations and circumstances at face value. We do have to think about how things like power, how systems, how access do impact any given outcome. So when you use the word woke, you're saying each of us needs to be cognizant of the fact that we don't know everything about everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't. We don't. How could you? Right. I mean, I think about my own upbringing. I grew up on a farm in Southern Virginia. And so going to college was a great awakening for me. Absolutely. Right. Meeting people from other states, from urban environments. Uh, I learned a lot. And so that's that's a lifelong process then. Right. Awakening. Absol- to the Absolutely. Of Absolutely. Every every day we learn something new. You know, we've we've said that throughout our lives. You know, you learn something new every day and generally you do. And when you learn new things, it does add to your lived experience. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about what it means to be woke. It really means that you're broadening your perspective and your understanding of other people in the world. So to be a woke coach, as you are, what does that mean? You're going into workplaces and helping people understand that you don't know everything? Absolutely. It, It also means that as a woke coach, what you're essentially doing is helping people wake up, right? I can't do it for you, but I can present you with information. I can have conversations with you. I can start dialogue. I can ask you questions. But yeah, it's really about helping people actually wake up. And so what's going on in workplaces that uh, someone would need to bring in the woke coach? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that are happening in, in workplaces that people 
really need to to understand about other people. Because, again, we don't have these understandings of other people's lived experiences, we do have to make spaces for things that are going on with people. Let's take, for example, I'm just going to go right to it. Like, take my hair. I'm wearing braids in my hair. And recently, there's some legislation that was passed called the Crown Act. Well, the way I wear braids in my hair for a long time wasn't considered professional. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there are ways in which people are in the workplace that are struggling just to show up every day and be deemed professional. And those things get in the way of the work. If I have to worry about my hairstyle, then it means that I have another added layer of stress on top of trying to get my projects done, on top of trying to meet my deadlines. Right. Right. And I have personal experiences with that uh, questions that are asked or statements made about hair that if you're not, you know, for me, not thinking about it because it's just, you know, it's just how I felt this week or this month about how I wanted to wear what's coming out of my head. Absolutely. But for other people, it can uh, be something else that, that brings uh, on conversations that can, can be hurtful, actually. Absolutely. And then sometimes people, they don't, it's not even the conversation. They lead with touch. So they walk right up to you and they try to touch not, your not hair. Not with me. They do not <laughs> know. No, no, that does happen. Yeah. Yeah, it does yeah, happen. Do it does happen touch, that yeah. people try to yes. touch you because mm-hmm. they're fascinated by it. But, you know, my lived experience yeah. is not a fascination <laughs> for you, right? right? So don't, please don't touch my hair. Fascination. That's a good word. So yeah. fascination. So uh, in a workplace scenario, fascination with someone um, different could look like what? Could it look like, A, I know it could look like I don't interact with you because I don't quite understand you. Yeah. You know, I think it's I think it leads to a lot of different things. I think when we don't understand each other and we haven't had the opportunity to engage around um, very specific cultural things or very specific things that relate to how people show up every day. You know, I think about how in this work, one of the things that happens is on one side of, of the coin, I have BIPOC employees who say to me that they feel like they can't show up at work as their full selves. Right. And so that means that they feel like they have to put on an extra added layer in order to just show up. And then on the other side, give me an example. I don't understand. So, you know, for example, when um, someone is murdered by law enforcement and it impacts you and you, you know, even if it's if it's here, if it happens across the country, a national, news a story. national news story. You can feel very sad mm-hmm. and demoralized. And you think about the members of your family, your your brother, your father, your uncles. All those things are really pertinent to you in that moment. But then you go to work and someone's asking you why you're not smiling. Or you go to work and someone's like talking about being at the cabin on the weekend and they don't even know that you're hurting. And so there's an opportunity, as we talk about an awakening, being a- aware, an awareness that, Absolutely. that not everyone is experiencing the world that you the way you are. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and one more question about the word woke uh, before we move on is I know for many people it has a negative meaning. And so describe how you've seen the use and the meaning of the word woke change over the years. Yeah. You know, when I started this company, woke was a word that essentially... It has a long history in this country. I think that's what people ought to know is that this word is not a word that just came about overnight. But I will say that what I've seen happen lately is for anything that makes people feel uncomfortable as it relates to issues of race or equity, the word is used, the word woke is used to say, oh, it's just that woke stuff, right? Or it's it's So then it's dismissed. So it's dismissed. It ends the conversation. It ends the conversation because it's like this is a body of conversation or these these are bodies of topics that we don't want to talk about. So we're just going to call them woke and we're going to push them to the side and dismiss it. So as you're naming your business, did you ever think, and again, this is in 2018, yeah. um, did you ever look at some other words? Like I thought about, well, maybe she could have called it 
the enlightened coach. <laughs> you know, know Angela. Okay, good. so here's, I, like, I like enlightened. So here's the deal. Let me I love enlightened people. Enlightened let me. <laughs> no. Yeah. Let me be one hundred percent honest with you. I did not name this company. I went to sleep one night and I had a dream. And I am a person who, for many reasons, I don't ever really remember my dreams. But I had a dream one night and I was in a building and it was really well lit, nice hardwood floors, desks. It looked great, right? And I was wearing blazers and my high heel shoes and I was smiling and I was happy. And all I know was it was called the woke coach. That's all I know. Looking into the future. I was looking into the future, right? <laughs> you know, that's that's God saying, "Hey, this is this is the thing." And I literally get off of. I wake up in the morning and I said, "Huh, the woke coach." And I essentially just put it in the back of my brain. And I went to go see my therapist. And my therapist says to me, "You know, you come in here and you're talking about your career and you have all these things at play. What's going on with you?" And I said, "You know, I had a dream the other night, and in the dream it said the woke coach." And my um, my therapist, she's British. So she was like, that's bloody brilliant. And so <laughs> essentially, she says, get your debit card. And I was like, what are you talking about? She says, get your debit card. So I turn around to get my debit card. And when I turn back around, she's got Squarespace open and we buy my domain name in my therapy session. Wow. Yeah. So when people talk about, should you have named it something different? Will you change the name? I know that for me, it was given to me. And so I feel like I'm on assignment. Mm -hmm. And whenever the assignment's over, that's when I'll end it. But I'm on assignment right now. And I know that this is not, I didn't, I didn't give myself this. Mm. Yeah. I'm talking with Sina Hodges today, a DEI consultant, an arts advocate, and a book author. She started a business in 2018 here in Minnesota called The Woke Coach. And as I talk with her, I want to hear from you, too. I want to talk to you, too. Have you been a part of a diversity training exercise? How did it go? Tell us about your experience and if it made a difference in the way you now interact with people in your life. What role do you see the arts playing in racial equity? Because I want to talk about Sina's involvement in, in the arts community here in the Twin Cities as well. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, 651-227-6000 is the number to call this hour. You can also call 800-242-2828. Sina, uh, so let's talk more about the business. Uh, so who are your clients? Are we talking about like big Fortune 500 companies? Are we talking about smaller um, organizations? Who hires the woke coach? So honestly, our clients run the gamut. On one and we have, you know, clients that are small eight person nonprofit organizations. And then on the other end, we've had global tech companies. So for us, it's not necessarily about the size of the company. For us, when we think about alignment and who we partner with, it's really about is the leadership on board and is this work that they are actually committed to? And um, are they willing to put in the time and the resources necessary to shift their culture? And so what does that look like, being committed to something? Yeah, I think it, you know, when you're committed to something, you're right. We can say, I'm committed to this. I really want to do this. But it also means that more deeply, once it starts to get difficult or once you start to feel uncomfortable, that you're willing to push through the discomfort to reach maximum out outcomes, right? So what's happening with workplace culture? We've done uh, talk shows um, about all the different changes in workplaces and in different industries, but uh, something in particular in the last five years, I'm, I'm guessing the remote work coming back, um, what is changing uh, in work culture that, that leadership wants to address? Yeah, I think now people are more willing to talk about what they need. 
And I think employees are now talking about what support they need and and honestly, even making demands of their employers about how to support them. They're thinking about their mental health. They're thinking about self-care. They're thinking about all the things that they need. They're thinking about how many hours they actually want to work in a workplace and how they can be more present for their family, right? They're thinking about how to advance within the company. They're looking at your leadership team and they're saying, do I see myself reflected there? So I think we're asking all the questions now and pushing beyond what was, you know, previously the status quo. And people really want to chart courses for themselves that really make it um, possible for them to be present, as present as possible. And so give us a, a, a glimpse of what happens um, after you're hired. And you, there are other coaches that work with yes, you, right? Yes. So how many people are working with you? So right now we have a team of about seven people. Okay. Yeah. So um, I know how I feel when I get the email. Oh, training. <laughs> oh, harassment training. This training. Like, oh, great. <laughs> um, so what typically do you think is the response uh, when, when people get the notification, training's coming, it's happening in person or it's happening remote? Um, what do you hear? back from from leadership who hired there's well there's any number of things and let me be honest leadership you know friends i'm gonna tell you the truth leadership has one perspective of what they think is happening in the company you really get the t <laughs> as we say from the employees you know from the managers and the individual contributors they're good they're the ones that are going to tell you what's happening day to day so those are the folks that i really take the pulse of the health of of an organization from you know for example if there is if you have a job listing and your BIPOC employees won't send it to their friends, then you know you got a culture problem, right? Because they wouldn't even invite people that they really like to be with them at work every day, right? That says a lot about your company. Does that happen? Oh, my goodness. Yes. 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 I, it's, uh, you know, I think that we're also in this position of being in 2023. And George Floyd's murder in 2020 allowed many of us to say that as leaders, we're going to commit to these things, we're going to, we're going to ensure that we're creating cultures where people feel like they can be valued, we're going to work toward aggressive inclusion. And I think a lot of those promises haven't been met. I was sitting in a room with uh, some BIPOC employees from a, a large company here recently, and they were saying, we don't believe leadership. They haven't done any of the things that they told us they were going to do. And we're fed up. We're upset. And so then how this affects a company, small or large, is that if you are trying to recruit new talent, then you're going to have a difficult time doing that. It's really hard. It's really hard to recruit new talent. It's also um, really difficult to keep the talent that you have, Mm -hmm. you know, because people don't want to stay in situations that are uncomfortable. And I think we all have to to figure out what it is that's motivating us. And we have to really understand that if we're going to try to create cultures and companies that are equitable and inclusive, that we have to have more folks at the table. We have to have more voices in that in the making of those um, decisions. Because uh, a healthy work uh, environment, the culture, the atmosphere, um it's just it's good business, right? You, it's you absolutely it's absolutely right? good business. Do you know how much time you save in your business if employees aren't worried about someone coming up to them and touching their hair or being microaggressed in a large meeting or a small meeting or having a supervisor that doesn't understand who they are or their cultural practices? You you spend so much time trying to to solve for some of those things and and people spend time you know, trying to figure out all the ways not to come to work, you know, lost productivity and creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you approach the work? Okay, the email goes out, people show up. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you're you're the coach. One of your coaches goes in. Yeah. What what does one of these training exercises? I'm not even sure I'm using the right word. How does what is it? Give me an example. Absolutely. Of, of what we, happens? Yeah, we call them team engagements, and essentially we start with our company values, right? And so for us, when we think about our company values, you know, one is that. We communicate clearly and timely with each other. We also have a value that's really centered around joy. And so a lot of times the perception of what DEI work is, is that it's going to be punitive and that you're going to go into a room and you're going to say, these people are bad and these people are good and these people don't care, but these people do care. It's not about that, right? It's really about helping to help people understand that everybody has a different lived experience. So really the work is about broadening perspectives. So we go in and we talk to people about who we are. And we operate with a sense of joy, but also a sense of transparency. You know, I talk a lot about spinach in your teeth. You know, you've had that that moment <laughs> where you went to lunch. Why did no one tell me I have spinach and, in yeah, my teeth? You get home at six o'clock <laughs> and you smile in the mirror and you've got spinach or kale in your teeth and no one said anything all day. And so the first part of this work is really being able to acknowledge what's going on. Right. And I think sometimes people think that we can just operate despite things that are happening. If you got a pebble in your shoe, you feel like you could still run a marathon. But really, you can't. You have to stop and you have to address what's happening. And so oftentimes in these trainings, even before we get in front of groups of people, we've done assessments. We've asked a lot of questions. We've done surveys so that we know what they're thinking and what they're feeling before we even go into a room to try to address them and change their culture. And so the conversations, uh, I'm sure, can be uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But most think about it this way. Most things that you've never done are very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. I've never been skiing. Let me just admit that if anybody wants to take me skiing, I'd love to go. But I've never been. Right. So the, the thought of like going skiing is a little frightening to me. Right. And at my age, I've never done it. So it, but they have great beginner lessons. <laughs> every, every, you know, resort you go to, you can start with a lesson for beginners. Right? Absolutely. But right, you, you have to get to that place where you say to yourself, I'm deficient in this area. Mm-hmm. I want to learn how to be better and let me take the steps in order to be better. And also let me know that I might fall. Mm-hmm. You know, something might happen to me and it's going to be OK at the end of the day. And I think that's what happens with DEI work sometimes is people feel like it's going to be punitive. It's scary. No one wants to be uncomfortable ever. I understand all of those things. But if you don't sit in the discomfort, then you don't make progress. Oh, absolutely. You, you, can't make, you can't make progress if you're not willing to sit in the discomfort. And honestly, the discomfort is rooted in a few key things. Discomfort is rooted in fear. You know, fear of the unknown, fear of, of newness, fear of making a mistake, right? And I can tell you that those mistakes are 1000% going to happen, right? But that is what apologies are for. Right. That's how we that's how we overcome this. If we don't if we're not willing to talk to each other and we're not willing to learn new things and step out of our comfort zone, we're always going to have this friction. We're talking with Sina Hodges today, a DEI consultant, an arts advocate, a book author. Uh, Her business is called The Woke Coach. And as I talk with her, I want to hear your stories, too. I want to know about your experiences at work. Have you ever been part of a diversity training exercise? How did it go? Uh, Did it help or was it not helpful? 
give us a call. Let us know. And and also, as as we start to talk about the arts and the role that the arts can play in racial equity, want to hear your thoughts on that as well. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call us at 800-242-2828. So, Sina, I said you started the business in 2018. Yes. Um, I'm trying to do some fast math here. <laughs> It's really hard for me. It's five years. It's been five years. So uh, how do you define success? Do you think you have some success stories uh, that really sit with you that like, you know, I did that at this place or as a company, we've done this. What is what is success to you? And have you seen it in five years? You know, I think that success is recognizing that this is a journey. Right. And success is people who are still on the journey even though they just committed in 2018. That was five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about time, five years is a, a mere drop in the bucket, right? Mm-hmm. And so essentially success to me looks like companies who have said to themselves, I'm going to do this work. We're going to continue to do this work and we're going to keep doing this work because it's not, you know, the work of DEI and creating inclusive cultures is not work that you can just say, oh, we we did it for six months and now we're done. We can We can check the box there. You know, there's no aspect of a business where you do a thing and you just leave it alone. You mm-hmm. know, even if you're trying to look at consumer behavior, you don't do that for six months and then stop and say, we figured it out and now we're never going to revisit it. There's... um parts of our businesses that we revisit all the time. We're always making financial projections. We're always thinking about hiring and retention. So DEI has to be a part of your business that's core and central to how you work every day. And in a lot of companies, it, it does keep coming back like, oh, didn't we just, we're doing that again? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. But that's a great way to look at it. You do other things like in a, in a cycle. You keep revisiting Absolutely. It. Absolutely. You do audits every year, right? Yes. Have you experienced, um, you know, negativity uh, in real time as you're doing some coaches, coaching uh, or feedback that you've gotten that like this was not worth my time, this was not helpful? And then how do you deal with that? Yeah. So I the first thing that I started when I started this business and even before when I was doing some consulting was that I just became OK with what people's feedback was. And so for me, you know, there's nothing that you're going to say to me that's going to hurt my feelings. When I was a kid, um, there were some kids who used to bully me. And um, what ended up happening was that it's at the end of the day, it's um, essentially your your attitude about it. And, and what can you take? And my mom and I would talk about, you know, ways to be better, how to go to the teacher, how to talk about what I was experiencing, how to call her in the middle of the day, right? And so you you learn how to deal with um, with adverse situations. And so for me, the other thing that is central is that what I know for a fact is that racial equity is the defining issue of our time. It's this issue that if we don't get our arms around it, and if we cannot have cogent conversations about race, about racial identity, then any of the other issues that we're trying to solve, we won't solve those. And so from my perspective, are people going to be upset about that? I understand that. But I also understand that it's coming from that place of discomfort, right? And so because it's coming from that place of discomfort, we can we can solve for that. We can talk about that. Uh, I also think that sometimes people don't necessarily see themselves in the work. Uh, they don't see themselves as a part of the problem. And so if you don't see yourself as a part of the problem, you think, then why am I even having to do this work? And what I will say is that we're all a part of the problem, especially when we're doing nothing. When we're doing absolutely nothing, then we're upholding systems and structures that don't serve people equitably. Right. 
When I think about uh, the past and the the present, um, you know, the recent um, anniversary of the March on Washington and so many conversations and articles written about um, the progress that hasn't been made and sort of the battles that are still being fought today. Kind of an example of like when you don't continue to address it and look at it and learn about it, then you don't make any progress. No. No, yeah. And I think that's the that's the hard thing for people because generally in in some instances when there are things that we want to do, you know, you write the list down, you know, you go grocery shopping and you go through the aisles, you get it, you put it in the basket, you check out, you've got it, right? You're you're done and you never have to revisit that. But then again, you do because in a week you got to go back, right? And so it's it's really this notion of the fact that progress takes time. And progress is it's possible, but we have to commit to it. You know, right now I I talk about how I feel like we are in this space where we're suffering from crisis fatigue, right? Because there's so many things that that are happening around us. I know if you're looking at, sometimes I'm looking at and feeling really sad around the people in the Tennessee legislature who are just trying to to have a conversation or, you know, some young person who was murdered at a gas station for dancing to Beyonce. You know, that's, again, us not really understanding each other's lived experience, but it's, it's, we have so much that we still have to do. We're, we're nowhere near done. As we look at the politics uh, of diversity, you know, earlier this year, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down um, affirmative action in the college admissions process. And then uh, sort of like the effect, the many different effects of that. So do you think that that ruling is, is changing now how companies are, are, are viewing DNI? DEI training, uh, DEI staff members. Yeah, What's the shift that we're seeing there? Yeah, I've seen the shift of, of people who are no longer in those positions. And also, Meaning I know people have people who, who have had. Jobs. Yeah, they've, they've lost their jobs. I mean, it, and, you know, if you look at some higher um, education institutions, whole departments are gone. Like, look at what's happening in Iowa. People are they're gone. They were like, yeah, DEI folks have to we have to go. And so I know that also there were some lawmakers who wrote letters to the leaders of Fortune 100 companies to tell them that their efforts might be in, in violation of the law. So it's it's happening. It's um, it's definitely at play right now. And so it's up to us to, to keep having those conversations about why this work is important and why it's necessary and why we have to continue to make progress. We're talking uh, again with Sina Hodges, the woke coach, uh, about uh, diversity training exercises at work and maybe in other places, too. You have some clients that are not, you know, uh, maybe businesses or, or do you work with other people outside of, a, you know, workplace issues? Absolutely. We work with nonprofits. We work with individuals. We do um, executive coaching as well. So sometimes we coach people who who just say, I, I'm a retired grandmother and <laughs> I, I want to know what's a up. A broader understanding. Exactly. Okay. Um, so my question is, have you been part of a diversity training exercise? How did it go? Uh, give us a call, 651-227-6000, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. What questions do you have for Sina Hodges, the woke coach? Uh, Sina, we have a call from Victoria, British Columbia. This is Bob on the phone. Hi, Bob. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Hi. What did you want to uh, ask or tell us? Well, um, I'm a older white male, and uh, about 15 years ago, I attended a lecture at a college. The lecture was uh, identified as Chinese, and told me, or lectured with the group, um, that the only requirement. Uh, to be a racist was to have, have one. 
uh, to have a racial perspective. And he differentiated that from uh, the idea of practicing racism. And uh, it's very difficult to talk about because people don't understand when you tell them that, well, I have a racial perspective, therefore I have to work um, at not practicing racism because part of my identity with the racial perspective is to be a racist just as a person who is a human can be a humanist. So it's difficult to describe, and I can't describe it to many people because they won't understand it, but um, it requires energy and awareness uh, to not practice racism when one has a racial perspective. So, Bob, what are your thoughts about um, uh, coaches, consultants coming into workplaces uh, to, to lead trainings? Do you think that that is helpful? Um, I suppose it is. Um, I've not had that training in a place of employment. Um, this lecture was from a college, um, a community college, and uh, it did change my perspective because it allowed me to be conscious uh, and understand that I had to put energy into understanding um, how not, uh, if you will, engage in structural my own personal structural racism. Thank you. That's Bob uh, coming in, talking about energy, time, practice, and uh, the benefit of of understanding that maybe I can move forward. Absolutely. I think a big piece of this work is really personal responsibility, right? And understanding that nothing moves forward unless you personally commit to it. And Bob was talking about not practicing racism, but I think we have to practice anti-racism, right? We have to... What's the difference? So... You know, when we're thinking about not practicing racism, then we're just, our our mind is set on like not being racist. But oftentimes, I think we don't understand what racism is. You know that it that it is a system, and that there's so many ways that you can play into it. I think the easier way in for folks, or the way that would make the most sense, is really thinking about how can you actively participate in ways that are in activities and actions that are working against how racism shows up. They're, they're multidimensional aspects. You know, this means that you're taking stock of policies. It means that you're looking at circumstances to make sure that they're not racist, right? And we're not just thinking about like the, the one-on-one acts, like those, those interpersonal racist acts, that we're thinking about systems and structures and how even in our own silence, we are participating in upholding systems and structures. So back to that piece of personal responsibility and knowing how, you have to actively practice being anti-racist and, and what that means every day. Uh, let's talk to more listeners. In Minneapolis, we have Nancy on the phone. Nancy, thank you for calling in and waiting. What do you want to ask or tell us about, Nancy? Well, basically, I've been through diversity training at least four times in my life. Um, I learned things in each training that were helpful to me. Um, But my question is, what does the research show after people have been through the trainings? Does it change the environment that the workplace is um, trying to accomplish? What are the um, results before and after these uh, diversity and now this um, woke coach training? How does it um, play Mm -hmm. out, you know, 
after the training is over. Yeah, is, is it making a difference? Thank you, Nancy. And Nancy, before you go, do, do you think it helped you? Did it make any change for you and how you, you see people? Or do you feel a little bit more enlightened? Or, or what was it like? Well, um, the first training was way back in the early or late, early 20s or late 90s. And I think it was more shame and blame. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still learn things. Then the coaching and the um, information and the diversity training, you know, grew up, I would say. It got better. And so by mm-hmm. the, yeah, it got better. And by the time um, I was going through training again in the same organization in, say, 2005, it was far more um, relevant, I think, and hmm. affirming mm-hmm. and ma- and made people um, share more. And maybe it was just the, the, the skill of the trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I started my own business, uh, the Chamber of Commerce had offerings on diversity in the workplace to help us all diversify our workforce. And that I found to be really helpful and um, particularly making interviews more friendly and more culturally sensitive and um, having more in-depth approach um, to the questions and listening, how to listen better for the answers. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really helpful. But then I was uh, most recently at the state of Minnesota during COVID, and I found there... Um, anti-racism training, as it was called, uh, was really kind of off-putting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt uh, really, uh, after all the trainings I'd been through and all the work that I'd made to try to be a better ally, be a better person, um, that was not a good training. But again, I don't know if that was just reflective of the trainer mm-hmm. or, you know. Well, Nancy, uh, you bring up a lot of great points. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, not all uh, training exercises and, and coaches are the same. That, no. And and she kind of talks about how DEI, uh, the diversity, equity, inclusion training, has evolved, how it's changed over the years. And the first thing she said, I, the first training she went through, she said it felt like shame and blame. So that's yeah. never uh, the intent. That's not helpful at all. No, no. Shame and blame is not... Um, it's not a way to help people move forward with the work in a way that makes them want to constantly participate, right? Mm-hmm. And what you want is for people to, you have to educate people, right? So this piece of feeling uncomfortable, this piece of feeling like, ouch, I didn't know something that I that I feel like I should have known, and now I do, right? But that's so, the point, That's right? the, Well, that is the point. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Right. I, I say to clients all the time, you know, you just heard something or you just learned something that you didn't know before. And I know that you have a lot of emotionality around that. Some of that might be shame. Some of that might be guilt, right? You're human. Feel those things. But you got 0.2 seconds to sit there before we move to the next thing so that you can realize that you have to move to action, right? So now you get to move to action around what you know. And the reality of our circumstances is that you can't move to action from that place and space of guilt and shame. 
When you try to move to action from that place of guilt or shame or frustration, that's when you start to cause harm because you're not working from the place where you're saying, okay, let me make a plan. Let me figure out how to move forward. You're working from that place that's that's a little chaotic and it's a little messy. Mm-hmm. And you're also going to end up centering yourself and what you want in that work. So then your advice then to leadership or management is to do the research. Like don't just hire any old body. Like do some, think about what you want and really spend some time looking at the different um, companies or people who are offering these training services. Absolutely. It's, it's like um, asking someone to the dance, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, well, when you ask people to a dance, you have to make sure it's, it's the person that you want to hang out with all night. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about long-term partnerships, you know, let's go ahead and extend the metaphor. If you're trying to marry someone, then and then you really have to make sure that you're, you're, you're vetting them. And Look at this work just not as a one-time thing to check a box. That's really important. You have to look at this work with developing partnerships, right? I saw a lot of people choose partners out of haste in 2020 when George Floyd was murdered. And then by 2021, everybody's trying to pick new dance partners, right? And so then you have employees who are saying, well, the last person who came in said this, and now you're saying this. You know, So I think that when you're trying to do this work, recognizing that you're doing this work for the long term is a really Mm -hmm. important piece of that, which means that you really do have to pick a partner that you want to work with for a long time. And, you know, Nancy asked about, you know, what does the research say? And I think it's really important that if people and companies commit to this work, you will have a lot of key things like greater transparency, the ability for people to tell you what's happening and to tell you how you can support them and also the ability to listen to them and hear what they have to say in a way that doesn't make you feel threatened or doesn't make you feel like you're uncomfortable because you're having to engage. There's also increased productivity. You and I talked about that a little bit earlier. You also have greater retention. You can keep people around longer when you've created a culture where people feel like they actually want to be there. You also have greater diversity. You also have greater diversity in, in your senior leadership role. So people have something to aspire to within the company. And it, it just makes you a preferred workplace. People want to be there. Let's take another phone call uh, from a listener as we talk with uh, Sina Hodges, the woke coach, about uh, doing diversity and equity and inclusion training. She's an anti-racism training consultant. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. I want to hear your stories. Uh, have you ever been part of a diversity training exercise at work? How did it go? Uh, in Minneapolis? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it is Minneapolis. Two people from Minneapolis. Uh, Jean is on the phone right now calling in from Minneapolis. Hi, Jean. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to tell us or ask? Um, I would like to ask your guests to share with us research that indicates that this training is actually counterproductive because it's really not subtle that this is always productive. So for the audience to be able to really assess this for um, ourselves, I assume that um, your guest, Ms. Jean, I'm sorry, I forgot your last name, uh, would be able to point us to the literature that says that this is counterproductive potentially. So thank you. So, uh, Jean, you, you've read that research shows that diversity training is actually counterproductive and can actually make things worse, con- working conditions mm-hmm. worse. Is that what you, you've read? Correct. I mean, you can read it on both sides. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is it's not settled. You know, you have some folks saying this is really great as your guest. And then research coming out saying that, yeah, this is can- actually counterproductive. Right. So I just wanted to, to point out those I'm sure she's familiar with this okay. research. 
So Thank you, Jean. Um, Sina, have you read about, heard about, seen this actually uh, become counterproductive, making things, working conditions worse? I think it can make working conditions worse if the work isn't done in a way that has great intentionality. If you don't center what the challenges are at your organization or at your company, if you partner with the wrong consultant, if you are doing this work in order to check a box, I think there are ways that, of course, that DEI work can go wrong. But I will say that if you have employees who are saying to you that we don't feel supported, we don't feel heard, we don't feel understood, uh, we feel like we need greater support for even showing up day to day. You know, if someone is telling you that something is hurting them, why would you ignore that? We'll sit with that. Um, Another uh, phone call in St. Paul. Dan is on the phone. Dan, what do you want to ask or share as we talk about um, diversity training exercises at work? Well, I wanted to share that I've been both a trainee in this and as well as later uh, brought in as a co-trainer. And one thing I've both experienced and observed is like an initial, an initial nervousness, but also with a growth mindset. And with that being like a foundation uh, of real progress is people coming in knowing that they have a deficit or that they might not be safe uh, at the beginning. But then, you know, with a, with a well-constructed environment and intentionality and commitment, uh, it really opening people's minds and also uh, creating relationships, uh, particularly across lines uh, of lines of difference where some people feel marginalized. Um, so I had a question uh, for your guest about uh, what experience you've had getting people past barriers of like nervousness or even uh, resistance to this. Advice uh, for people who are entering a training, see it's coming and they're nervous about it. Yeah, I think, you know, the way to talk about it from a leadership perspective is that leadership needs to say why this training is even happening and what goals they seek. You know, what are their outcomes? Why, Why are we doing this work? Because to put people into a room and not provide any context can be can be challenging. And I think that leadership has to be really honest about what's happening, what's at play, and what their expectations are and what kind of company culture they want to see. The other side of it is that once people are inside of a training space, what's really important is to make sure that you're creating spaces whereby people feel like they can be the whole of who they are, right? Because at some point, if people don't feel like the work is necessary, you want to hear from those people because you want to understand all perspectives that are in the space. So one of the things that we do at The Woke Coach is we work really hard to create what we call brave spaces. And brave spaces are different from safe spaces. And in a brave space, yes, there's accountability, but it's also a learning space, right? Generally, sometimes when you're in in a space, people feel like you should know things and that's why you're there. Well, we feel the opposite. You should be learning things and that this is why you're here, right? So you're here to learn and you're here to add to your toolkit. And so for us, it's all about how we create those spaces. I also said that we work with a high level of joy in the work, right? So for us, it's important that we make this work that people want to participate in because it's not the most difficult thing that you'll ever do in your life to go through a DEI training and then do subsequent work in your organization to have a more inclusive culture and be someone who contributes to that. It won't be the most difficult thing that you ever do. It is possible, but yes, you're going to, it might be uncomfortable, but yes, it's, it's possible to do it. 
I want to make sure um, we talk about your involvement with the arts, because this is a big part of, of who you are as well, Sina. When I, I met you more than 10 years ago, you, you had just finished uh, graduate school at Columbia University in New, New York City. You have a master's degree in theater management. You were working at the Guthrie uh, Theater, and um, and then you've moved on. I mean, you're now a member of the Board of Trustees at the Walker Arts Center uh, in Minneapolis. And uh, in fact, previously, you held the role of, of president of the Board of Trustees there at the Walker, the first person of color to hold this distinction. And you've also worked in various capacities at Theater La Dida, Mixed Blood Theater, Pillsbury House Theater, and Artistry Minnesota. What is is, is driving your passion for working uh, with the arts community in, in, in leadership roles? Yeah, I think, you know, the arts is one of our greatest tools for equity. You know, at the beginning of our conversation, I talked about how we're just the sum of our lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think the arts is a great way to have access to the lived experiences of other people, whether it's a painting or a sculpture, even a television show. Right. Because there are writers and people who work on television shows. But there's a, a way that it allows us access to what's happening in other people's lives and in other people's existence. Um, I think it's a really important way to just get beyond what we think we know about people, right? It also can invite us past stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And it allows us to see, um, to walk in somebody else's shoes. Absolutely. Right? While Absolutely. you're sitting there in, in your chair. But what's going on behind the scenes in the arts community? Because I'm sure you've had a few things to say <laughs> about <laughs> like who is cast or or what are we even you know choosing to put on the stage, right? Absolutely. I think that the conversation about equity and inclusion is a broad conversation, right? And so every industry is is having their own reckoning of sorts. Uh, the arts is no different. We're having those same conversations on that side about who's represented, who's, whose works are here, who is being commissioned to create work, who is, you know, even on the boards of these institutions and who's serving in those capacities, who's on the stages, but also whose work are we are, are we putting on the stages, right? So there's a, a large conversation about equity. And it's it's one that's not, again, to that point, Angela, it's not always comfortable to have these conversations, but these conversations are also necessary. Your book, From Ally to Accomplice, How to Lead as a Fierce Anti-Racist, available now. Why did you want to put this, I guess, what's in, in your mind a lot, <laughs> in your conversations a lot? Why was it important for you to put it into a book? Yeah, you know, I started thinking about how to create the greatest impact. And, you know, me one to one with clients is great. But also I wanted to see if I could, you know, 10x or a 100x that. Mm -hmm. So all the things that I do in our training is in the book. You know, we have a core curriculum that we call from ally to accomplice. And so when companies hire us, we come in and we deliver that curriculum. And essentially, it was important to me to put it into the book so that people would have greater access to our teachings. And we can order it now on Amazon. You can order it now through our, our website, thewokecoach.com. Right. Yes. Yeah. From Allied to Accomplice. Sina Hodges, the woke coach. Uh, thank you for uh, breaking it down for us this hour. <laughs> I feel like I, 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 I had an awakening. I learned some things, uh, which is always a good thing. Uh, thank you so much for your time with us today. Again, Sina is the founder and CEO of The Woke Coach, an anti-racism training consultant here in Minnesota focused on creating racial equity. Thank you for your work and your time today. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez and made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For more reporting in our North Star Journey series, be sure to go to mprnews.org and look for the North Star Journey link. Be safe, everybody. I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. 
A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.